Good morning. Grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and join us for a little bit of Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined here with my dad, Jack Brinker. How you doing, Dad? Doing great, son. Good to hear your voice. Happy Monday. Thanksgiving yeah. week. Almost. Yeah. Well, it is the week. You're right. Yeah, Thanksgiving week. I, I threw week in there to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's really been a trying time for lots of folks with this uh, COVID thing going on. It's uh, the the techie solutions don't quite get the feeling of a Thanksgiving thing. You know how many people are going to zoom their families, but fortunately, at least it's out there now, uh, so that those who can't travel can particularly uh, at least get to visit a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure that it'll be used quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Zoom has, uh, you know, and it's funny because they didn't really do anything new. They just packaged it in an interface that seems to work easier for a lot of people. Yeah, um, you know, and well, and they, and then they iterated very quickly because there were complaints about it early on about it didn't have good security and it didn't have, uh, you know, some some issues there that people had with it early on. And boy, they were coming out with like a new version almost every day. But because it's essentially web-based, it wasn't like anybody had to load, you know, download things to make it work. The the little download client is essentially just a customized browser. Yeah, you know, I, I one of the things I was thinking about is I don't know anything about the cost of one system versus another. Mm-hmm. But to most people, it seems like Zoom is free. I I don't think that's really true. You can do a forty-five minute conversation on Zoom for free. If you go over 45 minutes, then you have to pay or have an account. And uh, by the way, for Thanksgiving Day, Zoom is waiving the 45-minute cutoff. Oh, that's probably because Microsoft jumped in last week and made a deal where it's free using their, their scheme, but it's just for that day. Right. Well, I don't think it's because of Microsoft. In fact, Microsoft might have done it because of Zoom. Zoom did that early on when when the uh, COVID thing first hit too. There was a period of time where the for the first like month they just said everybody can use it for free, uh, while they worked out security issues and things. And and they did it for another holiday too. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was Veterans Day or Memorial Day or something like that. So, seems to be sort of their standard is like, hey, on days when. There's just a lot of people not working on holidays. We'll just let everybody use it. Um, yeah. Well, that's a great way to debug it. I mean, systems like that are difficult enough uh, just to make work. And then right, you got different situations all the time. And well, so and load that, balancing it, right? You know, balancing it with that, that how, I, how, how can you simulate having, you know, half a billion well, people log into your system? Right, right. So... Anyway, uh, it's good that we have these tools now in this times. But, uh, you know, and and I suspect that even after uh, the COVID thing is gone, there's a number of things that that happened that will stay. For example, there will be a lot more people working from homes and stuff like that because you can recruit people that aren't necessarily in your vicinity and, you know, they can't come into work every day because of where they live and they don't want to move and all, a lot of that. So I think that's uh, kind of going to have some staying power. I don't know mm-hmm. how, how strongly, but even, even those in the local area, because of the fact that it saves on 
uh, fuel and smog and lots of other things. Uh, when you balance all the society benefits, you might say it. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. just fine fine for lots of people to to work from home. Yeah. No, I think that's the the uh, clear trend. I think you're going to see a lot of people just saying, "Well, there's no." Uh, no reason for me to get in the car and go drive somewhere to sit at a desk. I've got a desk right here, and I can do everything I need to do there, here. Yeah. Um, you know, There's... I mean, if, you're, if your job is managing people in, an, in a space, then you might want to be worried because there may not be people in that space to manage. You may have to figure out, you know, new management methods. But by the same token, then one person can probably manage more people because you can click around to different people and... and, uh, and uh, you know, check yeah. on them, talk, talk to them about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah the 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 other thing that is uh, that's come up in the from a technology standpoint with the, with this COVID thing is the uh, lack of really having an adequate infrastructure. It's it's almost an embarrassment to the United States as a country that we haven't uh, really taken uh, and recognized the almost necessity of uh, having online capability in everybody's home throughout the country. Uh, and so I expect that, uh, especially with Biden's administration in charge, one of the major things that they'll launch will be to wire the country uh, somehow. I, 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 that's the wrong term because they'll probably do it via uh, the high 5G. speed. 5G. 5G will be the magic word. Right. Right. Uh, and it's an opportune time when it comes in now to uh, to really bring about an expansion uh, with, yeah. a tech, with a technology yeah. that doesn't cost so much. You know? Yeah, like building out the highways during the Eisenhower administration. This will be the, the great build-out of, uh, of the Internet so that people will be able to have connectivity all over the place. That Connectivity will be a right, just like the ability to get in your car and drive where you want to. That's right. That, that, and and it, it offers so many things. Uh, uh, health care is, is remote health care is going to go a long way too to a lot of these places because they don't have hospitals either yeah but telehealth lot, is they can is, get a lot of stuff done online so it it'll advance health care significantly as well as just uh, general communications replace much of the mail system i think the the mail system has, has got to go down the tubes although one of the things that i've thought about that really needs a yeah, well, letters letters will go down the tubes, but packages will go up, and I think we've right. seen that trend already. I think all the COVID right. has done in that respect is just kind of accelerated a lot of things that were already happening. Right, right. But uh, one of the the, the uh, now I lost my train of thought. Oh no, we derailed your train. <laughs> derailed the train. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it'll come back. Yeah. Uh, so I sent you an article from uh, iFixit that shows images of the teardowns of the two new uh, Macs, the the uh, MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro that have Apple Silicon in them instead of uh, Intel chips. And uh, it's real interesting to look at the, the, the layout inside the computer. Apple did <laughs> almost nothing. Which is really surprising, you know. You would have thought that they would have taken this opportunity to maybe re-architect stuff. They did almost nothing. I mean, the MacBook Air, everything is essentially in the same position. All they did was they pulled out the fan, because that one has no fan. 
and you know the motherboard is actually smaller in the new one than it is in the old one but but uh it's it's just not well you you, you only no do what you, you only do what you have to you know what uh there was nothing that really demanded a, a relay out no but i mean it's like you know when you when you've got a new chip inside and a new board that's smaller it's uh, it was um and i and i think what we'll see I mean, we'll, we'll probably see this continue with uh, each of the subsequent Macs that get their chips replaced over a period of time. Is this first round, they're going to look just like the old ones. And part of that is to visually reassure people that, hey, it's just like the old computer. You're not buying anything that's funky or weird or different. Uh, it's, you're not going to have any compatibility problems. It's a reassurance move. You know, yeah. uh, and that the next the next wave, the second gen of these things that'll come out. So the next MacBook Air and the next MacBook Pro will be different. They will make them uh, smaller, lighter. They will have a different physical design to them somehow. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they do something very similar to what they've done with the iPads Pro and with the iPhone 12s, which is they get that flat slab side uh, on them so that they look like the whole line looks like it belongs together. In yeah. fact, I've, I've heard rumors that the next iMac uh, will also look like that, that instead of having the the edges that taper down to almost nothing, that it'll just have, it'll be like a quarter inch thick the entire way, and it'll have uh, a flat, you know, metal band around the perimeter of it, sort of like the iPhone 12 and the, uh, you know, the iPad Pros. Well, iPads every, Pro. every, every once in a while, you know, Apple being in the design business they like to think that they need to uh, uh have a new model a new look you know as fashion yeah uh, there's there, you know it's more it's trendy to change something so people can look at it and say ah i've got the latest you yeah know? oh <laughs> absolutely obvious. absolutely and the, and and you want that visual thing that says this is the new one not the old one you know even it, and particularly in years when when you maybe don't have that much differentiating the old from the new you know yeah I mean, yeah. yeah, you can list a whole bunch of things, but how many of them are really significant? Like, quite frankly, I don't think that the iPhone 12s have that much that's different from the iPhone 11s. The big thing was they changed the modems to 5G modems, but at this point, that's not a big issue for 90% of the population, so who cares? So they had to change the way they look to make it, you know, like, hey, this is the new one, so that the old one now looks old because it's a design that's been around essentially for, you know, five or six years. Yeah, but... But uh, very limited, real change that one can make uh, at this point. They've they've refined things to where you sort of maximize the screen surface on the front, yeah. and uh, you know maybe hide some buttons, uh, you know, like the uh, mm-hmm. finger touch things underneath the screen, you know, because yeah. the face. Uh, by itself, right. obviously has problems as we've yeah. discovered. Yeah, well, the iPhone 12S or the iPhone 13 or whatever they're going to call the next one, if they include Touch ID back with the Face ID so that you have both, so in case you have yeah. to be wearing a mask for, let's say, you yeah. know, nine months of the year, um, that, to me, would be a significant change. That's a reaction to the realities of the world, and that would make you know sense for a lot of people. It's frustrating yep. to have to pull your mask down to unlock your phone or typing in the stupid passcode and unfortunately what it's done is it's made everybody's phones less secure because most of us have gone and said on that little thing that 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 says you know lock an x amount of time without use i've maxed that out it's like my phone stays unlocked as long as i possibly can keep it unlocked because dang it when i'm walking around the grocery store and i keep checking my list to see what's next on the list i don't have to type in my passcode every time well you see i i thought that 
what you just mentioned is one good solution to the whole thing is that while I'm in the store, don't mess with sh shutting it off. Just leave it on. Right. The problem is, is that as a security uh, um, uh, thing, you're not allowed to shut it off completely because it, unless you turn off um, the uh, Apple Pay function, if you shut off your, your, your wallet so that you're not allowed to use Apple Pay, then you can shut off the thing and it won't blank the screen ever. But, but because they, because they don't want you leaving it laying somewhere unlocked and somebody else can pick it up and, and, and buy something from you or using all your I'm phone. Saying, all I'm saying, Todd, is just like they have the airplane mode that does multiple things that, for certain circumstances. Right. No, I'm not an airplane. Give me a store mode button. It yeah. has all the things that are needed for operating yeah. in a store. Yeah, and maybe store mode just sets it, everything to 15 minutes before it then locks again or 20 minutes or, you know, however long. You know, right. You can see uh, that, set that's... a reasonable amount of time. So it's not going to stay unlocked forever, but, but by golly, when I'm walking around the dang grocery store, and I don't know what the max is um, to set it for because I, I set mine to the max. So I'm actually going to look at it right now and see what I set it to. But, yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's, it's... Uh, irritating to say it, the least you know it's just like the airplane mode is on the control panel that's that's right where you should put it you know yeah 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 you're right it should be in the control panel and just say um you know don't blank my my screen until i tell you to okay so uh auto lock the longest you can do it is five minutes yeah if you go to never then it'll tell you that you have to shut off Apple Pay. But but that's okay until you get to the counter, and then you just take it out of that mode, pay your bill, and leave. You know. <laughs> yeah, but to to put it to turn Apple Pay back on, there's several steps you have to go through to sort of authenticate yourself. Uh, and so you don't want to turn off Apple Pay. That's a pain, because that's again security thing. Yeah. You know they don't want people easily getting in in and out of setting up credit cards on your phone. So, well, they can fix that somehow. Yeah, I think, and the five minutes is fine. I mean, I, you know, it, the thing is, is it five minutes since the last time I opened it? Because if that's it, walking around the grocery store is fine. You know, yeah. because I will open it every couple minutes to check and see where I'm at. And then if it restarts the five minute timer, I'm good. Yeah, that that's probably a reasonable solution right there. You know, and that way it'll shut off at five minutes after the last time I unlocked it and opened and opened it up to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in a store you're you're definitely going to use it in five minutes, either that or yeah. you stop shopping. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's I I will definitely have used it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> trust me, my short-term memory is such that I I remember like three things on the list. Get those three things. Check the list. You know. Yeah. Go, going back to the. Uh, uh, early your earlier discussion about the uh, uh, changes that you were kind of expecting to come out and upgrades to the M1 chip. Mm -hmm. uh, the big one seems to me to be that memory limitation, uh, the 8 and 16K memory, not K, me meg. Gig. Or gig. I, yeah, okay, I know. Yeah. It's I, hard. To, I, I remember because you... Yeah. Yeah, you and I, I started can't get my letters in a row here. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny cuz you and I started when K was the memory amount, right? <laughs> and then right. it went to, then it went to meg, then it went to gig. Right. <laughs> Someday I'm, I'm it'll be terabytes old. of memory. Um, I'm getting I'm getting old and it's showing, you know. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, I do the same thing though. <laughs> I do the same thing. 
So, you know, and, and it's funny because if we had somebody, you know, of, of my kids' generation, they would go, what's a K? What's an M? Huh? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. You know, and why is K thousand? We don't get that. Well, you know, hey. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. No, I, I clearly that's going to happen. I mean, I was just talking about what I didn't, you know, why they didn't do the, the a, a visual update to the equipment as well. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's going forward. It, it, these the, the ones that they replaced were the low end of everything. You know, they, they replaced a low end uh, Mac Mini. They replaced a low end the, the lowest end uh, laptop and the right. low end of the MacBook Pro, all of which were sort of already limited to 16 uh, gig of memory anyway. And so they, they replaced those little, the little, the low end machines. And then, um, you know, if you want to upgrade to the higher end machines right now, you still have to go with Intel. But clearly, a, uh, you know, whether it's going to be called an M1Z or an M2 or whatever they're going to come out with, I'm sure it's going to have probably more CPUs instead of just, uh, you know, four high power and four low power. It'll probably increase those. Um, I don't know. That, I can't see that they're going to get clock speed a lot higher, but maybe. I mean, we'll see. Um, uh, they've already got the fastest um, single core speed of any, any Mac made, basically. Uh, when they go to, you know, multi-core, some of the multi-core Mac Pros and iMac Pros are faster. But, um, uh, but you know, that's because they've got like 10 core and 12 core Intel CPUs. Um, yeah. You know, when you <laughs> just bigger right. guns, but, but clearly they're going to have to address more memory than 16 gigabytes. I mean, um, you know, and I expect that'll probably be in the first quarter of next year. We'll see the next one drop and that will be for some iMacs and for probably the, the higher end Mac Pro laptops. Yeah. Well, you know, I I was thinking. I told you last time we we were talking that I was considering uh, getting one of these machines, and it's really tempting mm-hmm. being a techie. But uh, I've concluded that this is such a baby step from where they're really going that yeah. to wait at least another year or year and a half, to yeah, maybe maybe even two years is probably prudent because we're going to see a lot of changes. And I, yeah. and I look back and at my computer, you know, where I went out and basically bought the MacBook when they reinvented it, the very first model. Right. And that was the, that was the biggest mistake that I ever made in buying computers. Uh, you know, I, uh, I naturally got it full up with all the memory and all the stuff. And yeah, so I spent a quite a bit of money on the product. And then, you know, within a year, it had vastly improved. Well... The complaint about that machine was that it never really did improve. That it always had their um, the the slowest low power chip that Intel made, so it was never particularly fast. It had a bad right. keyboard, um, and they never really uh, gave you a lot of memory options or anything in it. It was it was it was like designed to be a replacement for the MacBook Air, but they always it was always more expensive than sure. the MacBook Air, and was yeah. underpowered, you know, and had a bad keyboard. So, you know. Um, yeah. It was just, well, it, it was not a great design yeah. for, for the Apple folks. Yeah, well, I, I guess it was just because that I was was never really used to uh, or settled with sort of the lowest end product, and that's what I ended up with, you know. Right. So I will bet you money that when they remake these things, that the Air will become essentially what that machine was. There will be a new machine that's going to be very similar to what your machine is, 
um, with the updated or the, the sort of retro keyboard. So they'll have the good keyboard in it. Uh, yeah. But because it's now fanless, uh, and that way then, and that one's a 12-inch screen, and that one will be their 999 starter Mac. And, and then they'll have a 12-inch screen. The, the MacBook Pro will go from 13 to 14 inches when they take the screen out to the edges, so it'll be 14-inch. And they've already got the 16-inch Mac Pro, which they already took the screen out to the edges on. And so you'll have a 12, a 14, and a 16, which makes more sense than, yeah. you know, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, they'll all have increasingly more powerful CPUs in them. So that'll also make more sense. Although I've got to say yeah. one thing that's always sort of frustrated me with um, Intel or with uh, with Apple is the idea that the 16 inch Mac Pro sometimes had a faster CPU that was then was available in the 13. You know, I want the fastest CPU I could get in my laptop. I don't want a 16 inch screen. I don't want something. I don't want the the thing to be that big and clunky you know so the 13 inches is the right size but i don't want to have to suffer with a slower computer just because i wanted one that was a little bit smaller and certainly with the uh with the m1 ship it's not like you need a bigger you can put a bigger thing in it because you need more cooling i mean it's you know it's there wasn't a reason for it it was a marketing driven decision and and what bothered that's the my biggest complaint about apple is when i see them do things that are marketing driven not technology driven you know yeah. like they used to do things like uh you know the uh, i think it was the 6 series phones the 6 uh the 6 max had optical stabilization in the camera lens and the 6 did not so i bought the bigger phone because i wanted the better camera well mm-hmm. There's no technical reason why they couldn't have optical stabilization in the six. They just chose not to, mm-hmm. you know, and and making those kinds of differentiations bother me. It's like, OK, <laughs> you're forcing me to buy something that's big and clunky that I don't want because it has one thing that that's the only place you offer it. Yep. You know, I don't understand that. It, it It's irritating to me. They went away from that for a while. And now with the iPhone 12s, they brought it back. The iPhone 12 uh, Max has a... Well, the, um, well, the idea a, is they want the, they want the rich people like you to uh, pay for the development for everybody else, see? Well, A, I'm not rich. And B, <laughs> um, you know, it's... It, you know, I understand it from a marketing perspective. It makes sense. Yeah. I wish that they were not so marketing driven at some points, you know, and that that's a frustration of mine with Apple in general. I don't mind paying the, you know, people call it the Apple tax. I don't mind paying the Apple tax. I think they've got better products and I, and I like, and I will, you know, pay whatever they're charging for their better products. And if that means that I have to, you know, wait and save up for things, then so be it. I'll wait and save up for things. Um, mm-hmm. But don't, not make a product that I would like to buy just because you would like to force me into paying an extra $200 for something that then comes with baggage that I didn't want. You know? Yeah. 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 It's hard to, you know, when you look at the features, everybody has sort of different views of what is important to them. And, and, uh, but yet there's a limited number of products that they can come out with. So how to get the right mixes for everybody is, uh, is always the guess. You know, for marketeers and stuff, what what will sell? Because that's, after all, why they're in business. So, I you know, having been an Apple investor, I didn't always look on the things as badly as you did. As as long as Apple was 
getting the right numbers when it came to to uh, their quarterly reports and stuff and and gave me an opportunity to make some money so you 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 know you come at these things from different perspectives sometimes yeah well i mean it's you know i again like i said from the marketing perspective it doesn't make any you know one way or the other i mean it you know it makes sense for them to want to be able to differentiate products and to to have something that's enticing to get somebody to upsell my point was is the upsell where where they place the upsell my felt feeling was the upsell should be the difference and they and they kind of did it you know now they have the the iPhone and the iPhone Pro. The upsell should mm-hmm. be the difference between the iPhone and the iPhone Pro. There shouldn't be uh, capability differences between the different sizes of the phones. The size should just be a preference in size, to my to my feeling. No, oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all, because basically they know they're selling their cameras to lots of professionals out there that are willing to pay that extra money for some really fine uh, features in the cameras. So the camera's been the upsell feature. And you're, I, you're I, a photographer, for, so you you got to be willing to pay for the camera goodies, you know? You admitted that's why you bought the camera, or the phone you bought. That's why I bought the larger phone. And I was irritated that they made me do it. And and it made me feel bad about, my, or about Apple because of that. Because I would <laughs> rather have the smaller phone, and there was literally no technical reason they couldn't have put that. Uh, the In fact, they did it in the next generation. Um, uh, you know, optical stabilization in in both phones. There was no reason that that couldn't have been there. It was just a choice they made to force you to mm-hmm. buy a larger phone. And again, all I'm saying is is that making the the, the differentiation, you know, making making that that enticement also come along with being in a physically larger size was mm-hmm. irritating. Especially imagine if you're a woman, you can't you know you can't even hold that stupid phone in one hand. Um, yeah, you know, oh, I'm and, with you on that. I, and, I don't like big, big, big things that don't you know, fit in my pocket. Even my phone right now is too big for the pocket. That's, yeah, I mean, it's just it me. just goes back to you know my my complaint is is that they do things because of marketing decisions as opposed to technological decisions, and yeah. certainly you have to make some marketing decisions. But where they've made those decisions, I disagree with at times because of things like that. You know, um, I would more than happy to pay extra. I would have paid. You know, they could charge the same amount for, in my mind, for the, for the Pro or the Pro Max. They could mm-hmm. charge the same dollar amount. I wouldn't care. I would buy the smaller one, than the larger one, as long as they had the same features and functions and capabilities. I don't want to give up. Yeah. You know, a a any features. And be forced, uh, or be forced to carry a bigger phone. Yeah. I feel like they've gotten too big and too heavy. And, uh, you know, and so I would go back the other way, you know. And in fact, I know a few people who have um, who were buying phones this year who bought like the iPhones and and they waited and bought the iPhone 12 mini instead of either of the pros. And then you get two cameras instead of three. You actually give up a camera. But the mini Mm -hmm. is actually smaller. It's about the same size as the SE. It's it's the smallest phone that Apple has has made in uh, in recent years. Yeah, you know, uh, this, the business and the power of these phones is such that there's so many features that they have today is it really becomes a packaging issue. Uh, it used to be, and, and it, for some people, still is uh, better to have, it, have your own camera totally separate from these things. You know, just focus on giving me a good camera, you know. And then you buy it and you keep it for 10 years 
you know? And, uh, you know, these phones, uh, they're just incrementally moving the, uh, or over the period of time since the iPhone's been out, moving that photography uh, feature to becoming a, a real professional quality device. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's come a long, long way. Uh, and, uh, you know, if that's used as a reason for changing the phone, see, if, if you look at a phone by itself, uh, and and maybe even a lot of the functions that are in the smartphone other than the camera, uh, that's that doesn't have to, well, a lot of these other features do drive the screen size, I'll have to admit, some of them. But basically, phone functionality is as cheap as you can possibly get. Somebody should be able to build one of those things for 50 bucks or less, you know? I mean, well, they do. They you know? do. You can go 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 down to your local Target or Walmart, and you can buy a phone for about thirty bucks, just a basic yeah. phone, and um, um, you know, and they sell them that way. I mean, they're 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 inexpensive Android phones, yeah. and you know, and they have the full touch interface and can do essentially they can do everything that the iPhone can do. You know, um, yeah. I don't think they do it as well. I don't think that they you know they don't have the integration with all the uh, the the services and stuff that apple has tied into their phones and doesn't integrate with your laptop and uh you know and the apple pay does is there because it's not an apple phone i mean it's got you know probably has touchless pay and there's you know but it's it's i mean you're right yeah. the physical machine is not very expensive to make especially yeah. when they're making them by the billion you know right you know so uh we we've you and I being techies, we get carried away. We like to have all this good stuff integrated, in it, and there's some benefits to it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there still were good things about the good old days when you'd buy a really good quality device, like I suggested, a, a cameras, and they would they literally would last you 10 years. And, it, yeah, you know, with, with great capabilities all, all those 10 years. You know? Yeah, I will say though that in the even in the photography world, if you are a professional in the photography world, um, you know you you probably don't keep a camera for ten years. I mean, you might if you're doing like studio work and you had a Hasselblad, but you know you very often, uh, especially as they've moved to digital, uh, you know, again every year the technology's gotten better, the resolution's gotten better, the low light capabilities have gotten better. And so, yeah. um, you know, if you're a professional photographer, buying a new camera was just, you know, par for the course. Um, and, you know, that's not the case. Uh, that probably wasn't the case, you know, 30 years ago because there wasn't, you know, the, if there was a big up uh, uh, technology change in your sensor that, well, that was, a you know, a roll of film. So you just put a different roll of right. film in, you know, <laughs> you swapped yeah. out your sensor literally for every 24 shots. Yeah. Well, and... The, the real gain by all of this is the fact that individual photographs are basically free. <laughs> I mean, they don't charge, they don't cost you anything once you got the device. Right. And, and, and that's the marvel of uh, the change from when I was a kid. You know, most families had cameras, but you didn't take that many pictures because it cost too much money just to process and print, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a couple dozen pictures, you know. Yeah, yeah, you took pictures at, uh, you know, at special occasions, you know. If there right. was a parade, if there was a birthday or an anniversary, maybe at Christmas, 
uh, and that was about the only time you took pictures and you took the pictures and you would put a roll of film in the in the camera say like in january and maybe you know you'd change out that roll of film somewhere around March or June and then put another roll in and take a few pictures. And, and then you take, you know, that roll <laughs> down to the, to the drugstore, right. And the drugstore would say, we'll get it back to you. And a week or two later, you'd get back a package of, of uh, negatives prints. and some prints. And, right. and half of those would be, you know, people with their eyes closed. Or, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how, uh, how much better the photos are now uh, for that reason alone. You know, I mean, the thinking behind the lens allows you to, you know, like not actually snap the shutter until somebody's eyes are open. Um, you know, the, the, the adjustments for the existing light are so, uh, you know, done on the fly and it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking the other day, just, well, last night, I guess it was that I'm probably one of the only, uh, the only generations left people I'm 80 now and above uh, had black and white pictures taken of them as a child, you know? <laughs> I did. You did have some? You took them. You should remember this. I took I had black and white. Okay, tons you're right. of black oh, and yes. whites. Oh, that's right. And the reason was is that I worked in a, in a job that had a photo uh, uh, film developing lab. Right. And, and there were scrap uh, uh, film left that was free to me, 35 millimeters, so why not use it? <laughs> right. Now, so was, you wound your own rare. wound you know, your yeah. own film and you uh, and and developed it there yourself. So basically, you had photos at no cost. You had the same same effect that digital has had when I was a kid. That that's right. You know, because at the but at the at that point in time, everybody that was buying stuff was buying color. Right. You know. Yeah, and there were a few color photos of me as a child, but most of mine are actually black and white, as an infant anyway, I should say, that's, not as a that's, child. That, that's right. That was for that period when, when we were in Hawaii. So, right, yeah. Anyway. Mahalo to those out there that are Hawaiian-born. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there's lots of black and white pictures. In fact, you just sent me one a while ago of you holding me when I was little, so uh, Mom must have taken the picture, and I now have that as your... Uh, as your contact image, I, you're, you're oh. holding, and so I see your face of you at probably you know twenty something, and, and me, my face is just right at the bottom of the little circle in the contact thing. Ah, uh, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, you know, I, I know you'd like that. People, um, you know, a lot of people have set up their own like contact images now, and Apple allows you to share that, and yeah. a lot, and 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 you, and and I know uh, several other people who have created an emoji that is them and for a while if somebody said hey you know here's my contact image i accepted it but i have actually gone back and replaced those with images that i want that i see of them i want to see an actual photograph i don't like an emoji of somebody i want to see what right. they, you know and very often it's not a, a current image it's an older image like i have uh, for both of my daughters the memo or the, the image that i have on their contacts is when they were like uh six and seven years old Sure, and so sure. I've got a fa so I see their six and seven year old faces anytime they call. That's the picture that pops up. I have a picture of my wife when she was uh, getting ready to go teach one day, and they had dress up days. And she has on these funky glasses and a big bow, and she she looks like um, uh, you won't re know the 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 recognize the the book series, but there was a um, uh, uh, 
the it was a magic school bus uh, series of books, and she looks like the lady who was the the teacher in that. She dressed up that day, and so she looks real goofy and silly. And I just think it's cute. And so that's the picture I have of her. Uh, and now I have you when you were twenty something, you know, uh, holding me. Well, surprisingly, I do relate to the magic school bus stuff because we were uh, watching Haley's kids at that time, ah. and there was a song that went with the magic school bus. Right. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Frizzle. Miss Frizzle was the teacher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I remember Miss Frizzle. So anyway, yeah. So it, I, yeah. So I've decided I don't. I don't accept people's. Um, I mean, I Emojis. guess I, I shouldn't say I do all the time, but but in particular, I don't prefer. I prefer not to use the emojis. I prefer to actually use. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, like right well, now. There's a new contact photo available, update contact on on uh, iMessage from you, and and it's you know wanting me to use your emoji again, and I just say nope, don't want it. I'm going to keep the picture I got. I like the picture I have. Oh, who's who's sending that to you? It's coming from your system because you set up your contact picture to be shared, and your contact picture you set up was a emoji. Oh, and really? I'm sure, yeah, and I suspect what happened was is that when they first said that they could do this, you probably read an article, went and did it, and then forgot about it. But right now, yeah, anybody who sends you a message gets back a little thing saying, hey, there's a contact picture available, and it's a emoji that you made of yourself. And I'd, oh. prefer, and I'd prefer not <laughs> to use that. Well, that does show up in a couple places, but you're saying it's in messages, huh? Yeah. Principally? Yeah. Huh. Well, I thought I just had messages up here on my iPad, and I didn't remember seeing it. But If you anyway. go to uh, Messages and uh, Preferences, the, in under General, the very first thing that pops up, there's a checkbox that says Share Name and Photo. And, oh. and you can type in your name, and there's a photo there, and you can edit it. Uh, and okay, I, but uh, the preferences for messages aren't on the app in the face in the uh, in uh, iPad, they're over in settings, right? So, so I have to go to messages under that, and then it says, uh, uh, "Huh? Show contact photos. Show photos of your contacts in messages." Okay, well, that's not really it. I guess I don't see that setting here, but oh well. I don't know. I don't know how to change that. That's one of the problems that I have, and and I've been an iPad user for a long time. But you know, you, once you set up settings, and then you forget about them, and mm -hmm. you can't remember how in the heck did I make that happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's sometimes very frustrating to go back and try to figure out what was what. But what happens now is on my message thing is for each of individual, uh, I I now have uh, your, I, I just noticed it, I guess this is your uh, emoji on my site, on the little tab on the left. Yep, yep, I just realized that I had the emoji set up too, and here I am saying I don't like it, and I did the same dang thing. So I literally just <laughs> just changed mine to uh, to now be me as an infant being held by you, that same black and white photo. <laughs> oh, on, on messages you did that? Yeah. Now, you're, on the, you're on the computer right now, though, right? 
Yeah, but they're synced on my system, so it's everywhere. So if you refresh your screen or if you close messages and reopen it, it'll probably come up and show you the new picture of me. Oh, yeah, well, okay. And uh, how did you change that on the computer, right on the messages? In the messages app, I went to settings. Preferences, yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, I'm not going to do it now. So, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we went way off any, track there. <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've kind of gotten away from uh, wherever we started. <laughs> With freewheeling here, you can easily go way off of the tangent. And, That's fine. There's nothing wrong with being on a tangent. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, what uh, what else did you find in this article that you sent me? Anything uh, other than just comparison of how things are arranged? Um, yeah, well, I just thought it was interesting. I'm looking at it, and the, yeah, there was largely uh, a lot of um, just um, you know very architectural stuff, mostly, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it. I thought it all looked very much the same uh, in a lot of ways. So, uh, I'm I'm looking at one of the teardown pictures here that reminds me of uh, back when I was in the Air Force days, and uh, for some of the Peacekeeper missile systems stuff, we were uh, the Air Force put a lot of money into these little uh, uh, connector. Uh, how do I say that? Uh, they're uh, flexible uh, connectors between the various components. Uh, and uh, yeah, little oh, ribbon cables okay. and stuff. Yeah, uh, the development of that stuff. It hadn't been done before, and now it's everywhere. You know, in order to assemble stuff and get it into a small mm -hmm. space, uh, there was other aspects to the development that I was working on, like uh, yeah. radiation hardening and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, that, that I remember in the 80s, it. Um, office equipment, when you bought, like, cubicles, the cubicles would, like, bolt together, but in the cubicles they had run ribbon cable that would bo both be um, uh, your power and your uh, network all in one. And so when you take a panel and put it up the next one, you would attach the, the two plastic connectors and then bolt the, the panel together and stuff the, you know, the cables that were inside the, the, the little panels. And so it was the same yeah, kind was, of thing. That was, that was really an interesting time to be involved with that stuff because there was so much going on and some novel ideas that come out of just everywhere, you know. So there were a lot of trade-offs from a systems engineering standpoint to say, what's the pluses and minuses of doing things one way versus another. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so I, I have fond memories of, of being involved in that. But in, at the same time, I can look at pictures here today and, and see still all these little components stuck down to a, a circuit board, you know, so still a lot of commonality with what was happening back 30 years ago, you know. Right. Yeah, so, uh, no, I mean, the idea of, you know, stuff on a circuit board, that physically hasn't changed a lot, although they certainly have um, gotten more things on the circuit board. The things have gotten smaller, so the board is smaller, so all the parts and pieces are smaller. 
Um, right. You know, we, we were talking about, you know, our history with mini computers, and I used a, a DEC PDP-11 uh, in a publishing system for newspapers for a lot of years and actually went to class to do hardware repairs on the board, you know, to do, like, component-level repairs. And we would literally desolder bad parts and then resolder new parts onto the board, and there's no way on earth you could do that today. You'd need a microscope. Yeah, yeah. You know, now you take a board and throw it away. Well, much of that assembly is also mechanized as well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not something you got people sitting around with a little magnifying glass and a soldering iron, you know. Right. Too many contacts and all that. Yeah, it comes comes down it, a uh, an assembly it, line and and, co- yeah, and it, robot arms do all the work. Yeah, in fact, back in the days that I was talking about is when they were first doing flow soldering, as they called, called it. You just immerse the board, and it, the solder would adhere to the little metal uh, uh, pinouts that that you had put on the board. You know, mm-hmm. and and connect the devices together. Uh, capillary action is kind of what I was thinking about. That right. behaves very similar to that. You you flow the solder across; it grabs onto those points that you want to be soldered, and the rest of it flows off the other side of the board. Yeah, which is pretty amazing concept when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, it's a uh, it's a just the assembly part of electronics is still. A marvel. The the other one were multi-layer boards. Uh, I I'm sure that there's still places out there, and I don't know about the commercial boards, but back in the day, uh, they were looking at up to five layers of different tracks embedded in a board, and then another layer of board. It was like a sandwich of of circuitry, you know, to make everything connect together. Yeah. And uh, you know that was complicated stuff. But uh, it had a lot of, there was a lot of reason for doing it, uh, and maybe even more so today. I think a lot of that has flowed into the actual chip manufacturer, where they can have multi-layer interconnects mm-hmm. with, within within the uh, the actual uh, parts. Yeah, I don't know about. I've I've not read about multi-layer stuff, but I haven't dug that far in. They certainly have gotten things smaller and finer and closer together. Uh, you know, and that's what they talk about, you know, the five nanometer process versus the seven versus the 10 versus the whatever, um, right. you know, they keep getting closer and closer and smaller and smaller, um, you know, and somehow they're dealing with the problems that they had early on was like, as you get closer and closer, there's crosstalk between lines when they're so close, but apparently yep. they're handling that because it keeps getting closer, you know? <laughs> well, that, that largely had to do with layout technology, which was yet another thing. It was the mathematics of how do you uh, make runs on these things so that you avoid, and you could specify that it would, in constructing, it would almost automatically build the layout for you given the criteria you set in the program. Right. Uh, so so it's that, computer layouts and, and design? Right. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing has happened a lot in, in uh, we're talking about photography and how photography has changed, too. Um, in At the professional end, I mean, you know, for for commercial cameras, I mean, like, even if you're getting a a, a high-end, you know, remo- re- replaceable lens camera, the, the, the ones that are sold by average, um, you know, average Joes, it's not so much, they haven't done that much in terms of... Uh, huge advancements but 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 uh, even at uh, i mean i shouldn't say that it, it flows downward but the professional level lenses so like you know if you're a professional photographer you buy a really high-end lens and they can cost more than the camera body i mean they can cost thousands of dollars 
Um, the newer lenses have been optically optimized because computers have figured out, you know, how, you know, how, how to correct the, the, the light flow through the lens and the groupings of lenses. People don't realize that, you know, there's sometimes 14, 15, 16 different actual glass elements inside each of these lenses that the light passes through before it gets to the, uh, to the sensor at the back. And the other thing that they've done is they've made them smaller. Like you buy a, the traditional 70 to 210 uh, zoom used to weigh five or six pounds and be about a foot long. And now it's half that size and weight. And it's optically better because computer design has said, hey, wait a minute, we don't have to do all this stuff. We can do these other things. Uh, you know, it's not an engineer somewhere making ma manual calculations. It's, it's uh, you know, this is one of those areas where uh, artificial intelligence, you give it the criteria and say, this is what I want on the end and let it figure out what's the best way to put everything together. You know, it's the marvels of uh, capitalism that we allows the specialization in all these areas. Uh, you know, in the lens area, for example, there's a whole field of work done in just on coatings, the interface between uh, glass and various coatings that you can put on glass and the effects of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so many specialties that contribute to yeah. uh, what we see as the end product today. And, and yeah. it's marvelous, you know. And, and you'd think that optics is something that's been, you know, we figured it all out a long time ago. But, yeah, there's just been leaps and bounds been made in optics recently. Not just not just the signal processing after the fact, but the actual optics themselves about how to ground the glass, like you said, in the coatings. And that benefits telescopes, microscopes, that Glasses I, I was, that you and I wear. I mean, it it's, it it, it yeah. hits so many different places. I, I believe in the in the technology arena that probably the oldest science is optics because of the telescopic interests of the in the early days when you, yeah it goes back talk, to Galileo. That's right. That and I don't know what else came before that that would be considered technology maybe a, a wheel for a car or a wagon or something well <laughs> i think there was you know there was the mechanic i mean they weren't called engineers then but mechanical engineers right so there were people who designed the trebuchets right and yeah and, you know and designed the uh, water wheels to to make gr uh, grist mills and things like or that the clocks were one of the biggies oh yeah the yeah technology was clocks and watchmakers right this is where the swiss became right. the yeah. uh, the world standard was it was yep. you know in that mechanical and to this day if you want a good uh mechanical watch you look for swiss movements you know although i got to say the japanese make some pretty nice uh mechanical movements as well but but those are marvels and that was a special technology i mean you you can just look at any watch and say wow yeah. how did they do that you know yeah a couple hundred pieces and i sad to say i mean i never got into the watches that were like the thousand dollar watches because i haven't got that kind of money but i like mechanical watches and was intrigued by those and i have several mechanical watches they're nice watches i hate uh -huh. to say though that because i wear my apple watch all the time now i seldom wear those i occasionally wear one when i want to get dressed up and go somewhere but i immediately yeah. you know i i it's so weird how the psychology this is totally in my head but this yeah. is this is apple using psychology to their benefit I don't want to lose my steps. I want my steps. And so very yeah. often what I do is I'll put the nice watch on my left wrist where I wear my watch. But if I do that, I take my Apple watch and put it on my right wrist so that I still have it on so that I get up, you know, I get my, my steps for the day counted. 
Yeah, this, which is this silly. discussion has just reminded me that I have a beautiful pocket watch somewhere, but I don't even know where it is because I haven't used it in so long. Mm-hmm. So uh, stuff like that that I, yeah. I thought it was wonderful. It was very thin. I, mm-hmm. I, I when when it comes to watches, I I guess it was for our 25th wedding anniversary. Mom and I both went and bought uh, watches for each of us that matched. And mm-hmm. the beauty of them, in my mind, was they were extremely thin. I mean, you I know remember how that watch. Apple, Apple likes to make things thin, but I forgot there was some uh, Swiss company, and, I, uh-huh. and uh, they were the thinnest of everybody's. And I thought they just looked so elegant. Yeah, and no, I, I, re- I remember yours. I remember that watch. You don't have that watch anymore. Well, I think that we have our wristwatches, the thin wristwatches. But yeah. but I don't know about I don't know about the pocket watch. Yeah, uh, because I got the pocket watch before we had those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I have I have a nice, small, very plain, very thin pocket watch that I occasionally will bring with me. But uh, you know, I've got a variety of nice, uh, you know, like I said, nice wrist watches. They're not the the um, you know they're not an Omega or a Rolex or something like that. They're not. I don't have that level. But I've got some nice. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, reasonably good quality watches with good Swiss movements in them. That, and I like the mechanical watches. I have some. Um, I have a, a a few that are, and I say a few. I probably have a dozen watches, but um, uh, uh, I particularly got interested in the ones that are called automatic watches, and that that means they're totally mechanical, but they wind themselves just with movement. And oh, so yeah. in, in order to keep That's... the spring in good shape, you have to use them. You can't let them just sit for a long time. Otherwise, the spring gets brittle. And so I actually have a winder that you set them in. And all it does is just every so a couple hours a day, it spins the watch around, moves it so that it winds itself. And then it sits and lets it unwind. And then it winds yeah. itself again. Yeah. Yeah. They just have a little pendulum in there that goes around the circle and mm-hmm. turns the ratchets, you know. Yep. Just just cranks them up. And uh, and I I find it um, very. Of course, uh, those didn't really. Uh, they, their life wasn't very long because it was it, the battery technology became available so that you could do it with batteries and so. Yeah. Uh, you know there was a period of five years maybe where automatic wind was was a cool well, feature. But... Automatic wind watches were developed back in the 1800s, but they weren't. They they and so they they were around for probably. Uh, a good hundred years, but they um, uh, they became like they really became a popular thing, sort of in the late fifties, and by the late sixties, small batteries were starting to, to replace them. It happened that long ago, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I have a tough time relating things to a calendar. So anyway, uh, I, you know, when it comes to technology, occasionally you see some really fine things on the, uh, uh, that show, uh, where people bring things in, uh, and have appraised, uh, what's that called? The, Oh, the road show. Uh, yeah. Antiques road show. Yeah. And just recently I saw one that, that had a really old clock that was really cool when they opened it up uh, really you could see a lot so I liked it and and it had a lot of really beautiful painting on the outside that somebody had done in ceramic but anyway uh, 
just I, I enjoy seeing things like that because that was technology of the day you know those things people spent a lot of money on sometimes just because yeah you, you everybody wanted to have a clock one clock somewhere in their house of course today we got them all over the place don't know what to do with them they're so plentiful uh but uh it, i look back and i thought i had just have fond remembrances of my grandma and grandpa's house and one of the dominant things when you first came in the door was this uh, clock that sat on a shelf mm-hmm. on the wall straight ahead and so it was just a, a mantle clock i guess you'd call it that uh had little winders in it grandpa would routinely you know every day he'd wind his clock up uh unlike the ones that had the pendulum they would last a lot longer but this was not a pendulum clock this was mm-hmm. a spring wound clock and yeah. there were two what two winders one was for the alarm and I, I love the sound of those things. They, the little thing was like a, a bell that the little dang dongle would hit four mm-hmm. or five times. Or you, I guess it really had actually depended on the time. It would, it would ring once for a one o'clock, twice for two, and so forth, uh, so that you could not even have to look up to know what time it was when it got to those hours. But they were beautiful to listen to, because. Uh, uh, just the the bell technology was also a big big deal in the olden days uh, some of these church bells are just marvelous to listen to uh, in fact yeah. I, I was in Fatima Portugal which is a shrine for uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary for a lot of Catholics that go there and, and uh, they, they have a church uh, right adjacent to the site and every time uh, at, at the hour that it would ring, I says I had my video camera, and there's several times where I've, you know, I hear the first dong, and so I can't get the incomplete thing, but I'll turn on the recorder just to, to capture the audio because yeah. I love the sound of it, and I've played those back a number of times since I've been home. It's a video, but I've stripped the audio off so that I can just cap- have the sound on a little uh, tape. Right. with it and uh yeah well my guess is if you did if you searched youtube you could probably find a video that had the whole thing so it wouldn't miss the first dong but <laughs> but yeah you know i i think you're absolutely right there are um some some and that's part of the the beauty of some really nice mechanical watches so there are just some nice things about things that are just fully mechanical you know um yeah. some elegant solutions to stuff that happened just before electricity really became well, not even just before in the in the decades and centuries before, um, you know, electrical things sort of came in and took over, and and most of our stuff, our things that do things for us, are are electrical. There aren't as many mechanical things out there. I have a neighbor who has a cuckoo clock, and if you know if I'm outside, I can hear it go off on the hour, and uh, you know, it just it sounds nice. I mean, you know, and mm-hmm. and even when, like you said, there's something. There's something cathartic about about going over and winding it, and hearing the click, 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 click as the gears wind up, you know. Right. And uh, and you know, like you said, many of the older ones they would have a, a you wind it up for the clock to keep the clock on time. If you don't want the thing to chime, then you don't wind the chime, but you can wind the chime separately. It has its own spring to 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 run the chimes. You have to wind both of them up. Uh, I was just l- looking here on the. Um, on the uh, automatic watches 
and the late 1700s uh, were, were, was when, when the first patents were made for um, a uh, automatic winding watch, a mechanical automatic winding watch. Mm-hmm. So they had been around for quite a long time and had a good run. Yeah. But they were very expensive early on, and, and today they're still fairly expensive. Although that said, for 50 bucks. Between fifty and a hundred dollars, you can get a, an automatic mechanical wind watch. That if you like that, you can get one, and it'll be a good quality watch that'll last you a long time. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go out and spend, you know, thousands of dollars on a Rolex. Uh, but uh, but you can, <laughs> you can if you want to. You know, it's jewelry. It's jewelry. Yeah. It's you know, don't think about it as a watch because if you just need a watch. You can go to you know Walmart or Target and pick up a watch for ten bucks, uh, or twenty bucks or whatever. But uh, it was interesting here that you know usually they they tie in things like when you look for a search in something on Wikipedia, they'll also say they'll have an area that says see also. Apparently, the concept of regenerative braking came out of making automatic watches. Mm-hmm. The idea that you can capture that motion and use that energy, and somebody said, hey. We could do that in a car. So regenerative <laughs> braking is actually a uh, uh, energy recovery system used in vehicles that was basically came out of the idea that, and re, you know, you could do that with a watch. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we were speaking about sounds, and I, I just found what I was working on a couple of days ago. Uh, I, I had remembered that while I was in high school, They called uh, about every month or every two months during the school year, they would have an hour or two hour long program and they referred to them as lyceum courses. I looked up the word lyceum and it doesn't really, there's a lyceum college and Mm -hmm. they thought I was talking about going to that college to take a course, but that was misleading. But regardless of what you call it, they were just specialized shows, not necessarily related to anything. Uh, the first one that came to mind was a guy named Jose Greco, and I found all kinds of wonderful stuff on there. He's yeah. a, a Spanish dancer yep. in the United States, uh, and I saw him at Cocker City High School. And, the, and you read today, you'd say, why would a guy like that ever come to Cocker City High School? But he was uh, promoting, he was actually Italian, okay, was where he, uh, he grew up in an Italian family, but he loved the, the flamenco. Mm-hmm. and that was his specialty, and he was in a number of movies, and uh, yep. that's who I, I have some clips from that. But the other thing interesting, while I was thinking about this business of Lyceum classes, I, there were several of them, and I was going to record them all. Unfortunately, I stopped after the next one, which was typewriters. The fastest typewriter in the world on manual typewriters came to one of those Lyceum courses, and and sat there and typed for us for an hour while she talked to us a phenomenal demonstration and uh, I wish I had had recordings of her typing because mm-hmm. that would have been great but instead while I was looking around for typewriter sounds I found two pages of different typewriters as they go clack 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 and then you hear ding when you when right. you hit the turn bar <laughs> yep ding at the end of the line, line. yep you know and and I thought it was interesting that somebody had bothered to to do this. They had uh, MP3 or uh, another format uh, without being compressed uh, 
of of the typewriter sounds that you could play. You know, and they were only uh, some of them were just uh, thirty seconds long, and the others a couple minutes. You know. Yeah. But it was fascinating to listen to that for somebody who had never, re- you know. Uh, been around a typewriter just to hear what it sounded like. Yeah, I would imagine that there's probably, uh, you know, like the generation after mine who wouldn't even recognize that. A lot of kids my age wouldn't know that, or kids, adults my age. You know, uh, when I took typing classes, we had uh, electric typewriters in the classroom. Uh, but, But I knew the sound and recognized you know, mechanical typewriters. They were not, they were not far removed from my age and we had one at home. We had a Royal in a box that opened uh-huh. up, you know, the carrying case that it was built in. It was a portable Royal. And right. uh, that, that like, there'd be a whole bunch of them go like, why does it ding? And why does it go ding? And then you hear this, because they, you know, and uh-huh. you'd have to explain to somebody, well, you know, you hit the end of the line, you have to hit the, drag the lever across to, 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 you know, get the, uh, the plenum back at the beginning. <laughs> it's like, huh? Yeah. And, and, and electric was a big advantage. I mean, IBM, was the primary electric typewriter. Right. Uh, I don't, yeah. there may have been others out there, but I didn't know of them. Yeah. The but IBM Selectric, it was in, was the Cadillac of electric typewriters and virtually everybody had one in their office, but at home you had to buy a cheap knockoff because they were so expensive. I mean, these were multi-thousand right. dollar, uh, you know, or a thousand dollar typewriters. You know, people didn't go buy a thousand dollar typewriter to type up homework at home. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a marvel that, that you can get on the computer these days and go find stuff like this. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was hoping to find a, uh, uh, video on, uh, what's Google video, the YouTube, YouTube that, right. that, that had, that had this lady doing this or parts of this demonstration, but apparently nobody had filmed it or if they have, they haven't mm-hmm. uploaded it. Uh, yeah, but, or you just weren't able to find the right search words to find it, which sometimes is the case. It's there. It's just, you know, sometimes right. it's under keywords that hadn't occurred to you. You might find it again later when you come back at it and think of some other way to do the search. By the way, Lyceum is the name of the garden in Athens where Aristotle taught philosophy. So it was, it in general, is a place of, of learning about specific you know, Things. Well, well, yeah. essentially ph- philosophical things. So things beyond, yeah. you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's 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 things to broaden your horizon, which sounds very much like what they were doing. Yep, yep. You know, but anyway, you under you some of this see. reading, I was going back to Jose Greco. Uh, I looked at in Wikipedia page. I think it was. It showed that he was promoting the Spanish music. Uh, during this period of time, and it just happened to overlap the 54 to 58, which is when I was in high school, and I have no idea what year it was that I heard him do that. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, oh, and let me tell you another one that was absolutely phenomenal, uh, that was close to this, but it wasn't there. It was after I got into college, I got to hear this singer that made Old Man River famous from the Showboat, the Broadway play. Oh, uh-huh. and he and he had just uh, or not just he had retired and he was invited to Fort Hayes which is where I was going to school it was a college at the time now it's a university and uh, I heard his that I saw a flyer Paul Robeson that's it Paul Robeson anyway uh, I still have uh, him singing that song on one on a CD or not a CD anymore but it's on my uh, phone or or computer 
And uh, I just love it because it takes me back to the day that I went. And basically, with very little advertising before the guy got there, he didn't have a full house. It was just too bad they hadn't because he was so great. Nobody has a baritone va uh, voice like he did. Yeah. Just a wonderful singer. And, of course, he had a repertoire of other music that he did. But, but basically, uh, it, it was a Broadway kind of show in the mm -hmm. sense that he sang Broadway songs, mostly. Uh, but uh, but I think he sang the entire repertoire of the uh, of, uh, showboat, or I think that's where most of them came from. But uh, anyway, it was good memory, but something that was just one day in my life, I found out about it one day and went and saw him the following morning. Got up early to get over there by 9 or 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah can't play a lot of it i'll get in trouble <laughs> yeah. yeah less than eight That's... seconds otherwise i've got to have a, a bmi or ascap uh license there so but yeah. just for those who don't recognize well, well thank you but but that's that was a, a great experience in my life something i'll always remember and it was just yeah. fortunate that i got to do these things like the lyceum thing and you know, had something you wouldn't expect. I, I don't know. Did you ever have anything like that where somebody came in for shows and um, stuff? We did, but most of them aren't people that were like memorable that I go back and go like, oh, I, I remember I saw that person when they were like nobody, you know? Um, uh, I mean, I did have an opportunity in college. There's a group that became really, really big right after I saw them playing, like literally playing in the middle of the day or late afternoon at the uh, the pub at uh, San Diego State when I was at, in college, uh, a group called REM, which you won't, uh, you know, probably I know means who nothing. They are, yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, and uh, I was literally sitting at a table where I could have like reached out and tapped one of them with my foot. I mean, that's how close I was, um, you know, because the stage was was wasn't a raised stage; it was a corner of the room basically um, yeah. uh, and uh, so that was kind of cool you know yeah because I mean literally like their their first big hit hit like I, I think probably within a week or two it seemed like um, and uh, and the next thing you know they're playing you know stadiums so it was like oh okay just just the other night uh, I saw I I uh, happened to catch the, I, I record a lot of TV shows, especially music and stuff like that. And uh, <clears throat> I happened to record uh, a uh, uh, stuff that was performed on a show called uh, uh, Austin City Limits. Have you ever watched Austin City Limits? I have. It's a great show. Anyway, Mom and I visited there. It's on the campus of the, mm -hmm. the studio where they do that is on the campus of the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. Now, we were just in a tour group and there was no show, so we didn't attend the show, but we were in the theater where this is in the backdrop with the city lights of Austin that you see uh, when you watch the show. Uh, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the shows that I had happened to have recorded was a, a, an Austin City Limits of uh, Asleep at the Wheel. You, now, I don't know if you know Ray Benson and Asleep at the Wheel, but that's I a band out, band out of Texas. Basically, Ray is uh, it's 
on the Wikipedia, it said they had 90-some different people as part of a sleep at the wheel over the many years that they've been in existence. Right. Uh, and Ray Benson, of course, was always the head guy and the lead lead singer and stuff. But Ray was uh, a talented fellow that did a lot of producing, and he also produced this com compilation of shows from the very first show at the uh, that was ever put out on Austin City Limits. It was with the Sleep at the Wheel, which I didn't know, and that was 50 years ago. Okay, in mm -hmm. 1970, actually 1969, according to Wikipedia. So I don't know who was right, but it's in the production. I think they said 70, but he had shows from 70s and the 80s and the 90s, 2000, uh, 2000. Five, I think, was the last one, mm -hmm. but uh, and it, it was the most marvelous collection. I've, I saved that video so it won't automatically be destroyed. I've got to mm -hmm. get rid of it myself, but I, I need to get that transferred somehow on some other media because uh, I like a lot of the music that Asleep at the Wheel did. They had hits over the years. But to see all the different people that recorded with him, he was—he did a number of things with Willie Nelson too. Uh, but it was a wonderful compilation of the history of the Asleep at the Wheel that he put together, and mm -hmm. it was an hour-long uh, show. And uh, uh, I forgot how I got into this in the first place, but there was something that made me think of mm -hmm. or want to tell you about this. But uh, uh, anyway. Well, we started uh, talking about Austin City Limits, and now you said you you went to uh, the uh, Moody Theater at the uh, on campus, right? That's yes. where it has been since 2011. For the first 36 years, it was actually at Studio 6A at KLRU, the TV station there in town, um, and then it, in 2011, it switched to the Moody Theater, um, and. Uh, the very first show was 1974, and the pilot episode featured Willie Nelson. Okay, well... Uh, Just a little bit about uh, Austin City Limits. Well, that's not quite jibing with what you you get if you uh, if you look at that presentation that I got, had last night. Huh. Well, I'm reading it oh, off wonder. of the Wikipedia page. Um, oh, so I don't know. I know that when they switched from their original theater to the to the other one, um, right around that same time, uh, Dave Grohl, who's a, a drummer for the Foo Fighters, um, was doing a thing where he and his band were traveling around the country, and then they would record and write a song in each different area. And Austin was one of the places that they stopped and recorded and did a uh, did some um, uh, work with, and they went to the studio. And there was a piano that had been used um, up on stage for a lot of years. And it was just one that they would, like, if somebody needed a piano, they'd roll it up on stage. And he tried to convince them that because they were going to a new studio, they had a new piano, and that he should have the old piano. And he was willing to pay for it, and they wouldn't sell it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, somebody museum or somebody probably spoke for it. Yeah, already. I mean, can you, can you imagine the, the, the musicians that have played on that piano over the years? Well, like, you see, yeah, there's a lot the, of history there, in Las Vegas. Uh, I, I went to a piano museum one time, and that's a wonderful place because it's got a lot of Liberace's. In fact, his whole collection when he died went to this museum. There's and a Liberace museum there. Is that the one you're talking about? Maybe that's the one. Yeah. Uh, but it's really a piano museum. It's more than just Liberace. Mm -hmm. 
maybe maybe they've changed the name or something since then but they had pianos back from the 1600s the early you know predecessors mm. to today's right. pianos yeah yeah the, the piano forte right all kinds of stuff it was a wonderful place so if you ever get to vegas uh, that's a that's a really worthwhile thing to do of course being a piano player myself <laughs> you know maybe more important to me than others but yeah, like but the history and the development of the of the um, of the uh, instrument, you know, how it has changed over the years, is, is oh, yeah. always real interesting. Yep. Yeah the the uh, album that they made for that was called Sonic Highways, and so they have like songs done with different people from all over the place, from different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they do. Uh, let's see, Austin, Texas. They went to Studio Six A, the original studio that it was recorded in and they recorded with gary clark jr who's a famous uh blues guitarist from uh there he's a young fairly young guy now but i mean he's he's made a big name for himself i don't know if you're familiar with him no yeah gary clark Clark. jr he's a oh clark you said clark yeah oh yeah i've heard that name yeah Yeah, tall skinny african-american guy who plays just really really good like you know texas blues yeah uh electric guitar Anyway, I was going to. Uh, the other comment I wanted to make about Asleep at the Wheel is that band was so diverse. Every decade, they would look like a whole different bunch, bunch of different Pro- museums. But there was a probably few was that, a bunch of different. <laughs> but but you know they they're always inviting somebody else to come in and and play with them, and uh-huh. uh, and uh, they seem to go back to the Austin City Limits shows almost once a decade if not more often than that so he that was the neat thing is you'd see ray benson as this young guy that almost doesn't look like today's ray benson Mm -hmm. in fact when they first showed it i said to myself is that ray benson (laughs) you know he was that young so uh and then he had long hair and and a slender face and you know all all the things that change you know as you get mature uh but anyway uh, you'd see his growth in terms of appearance over the years as well as musicianship i mean he clearly got better as mm-hmm. as the uh, years went by and uh founded in 1969 in Paw, west virginia right and at the invitation of willie nelson they left uh, and left uh, uh, for austin right so they moved, moved to austin because willie said come on down yep yep and willie performed with him for a long time in fact yeah. there were for a brief period there was a on the drum head uh of the group performing it was willie and the wheel it said you know yeah so they they kind of became his basic uh, band, backing band you know? yeah 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 it's funny here it says their first time they went out on tour they opened for alice cooper that oh, seems yeah? like a weird mix <laughs> yeah it does well there, there you was, know it was uh, 1969 things were there, there was you know a lot of crossover yeah so, anyway, uh, I'm getting hungry, Todd. <laughs> You're getting hungry, I'm but getting it's only hungry. 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, here. it's 12.36. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's time to wrap it up then. So, I'll say uh, thank you to everybody for joining us. We've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. That's a good show. I know we, we talked a little tech. We also talked a little music. We drifted around today, but that's okay. It's interesting talk, and we appreciate you for uh, listening in and downloading our podcast. We hope that you subscribe on iTunes Podcast because that helps our count numbers and 
if, uh, if you like us, please give us a good rating. Thank you very much. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Papa Brinker. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.